in tonight, and uh, let's take our Bibles, open the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 9, Hosea chapter 9, and uh, we've been going through the Hosea chapter 9 the last two weeks, and um, we looked really from verses 1 through 4. Um, when God speaks about when blessings can become a curse. And uh, Israel, instead of looking at the Creator, instead of looking at the one who blessed them, began to look at the blessings uh, and took their eyes off of the Creator and started focusing on what they had. Um, and because of that, it then became a curse because they turned that into their God. And then because of that, in verses 5 through 9, we saw that God speaks of the day of recompense, that there would be a day of recompense that would come. In fact, he says in verse number 7, the days of visitation are come, the days of recompense are come. And so he speaks about how that judgment was going to come uh, because of their sin and because uh, of how they turned away from God and took their eyes off of the Lord and put it on the things uh, that God had blessed them with. And uh, tonight, uh, this evening, I was really planning to finish the chapter. I wanted to take about three weeks in chapter 9 and, uh, and finish the chapter. Um, that is not going to happen tonight. Not only are we not going to finish the chapter, we're only going to do one verse tonight. I know that's a shock. That's, that's a shock to everybody. Um, but as I began just really kind of studying and, and looking at this, just this one verse, there's just it's really just an incredible verse when you actually stop and break it down and start thinking about what he's saying. In verse number 10, he says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that shame. And their abominations were according as they loved. I know if you just read through that, it's very easy just to read through a verse and even read through a whole chapter. And again, tonight I was really wanting to finish the chapter, but as I began reading this verse and really just breaking it down and studying it, it's just, it's, it's a powerful verse, but it's a very sad verse. Because in this verse, we see, in when I gave the title to the guys, I, I, the title is of really of this one verse, from joy to sorrow, but it's not man's joy, it's God's joy, God's joy to sorrow. You say, I, and I know, and please understand, I, I totally understand that there is, there's nothing we can do to change God's love for us, right? Um. God loves us no matter what. His love never changes. And I, I hear people say, well, because we're under grace, you know, we can never, you know, you cannot displease God, right? You didn't please Him for Him to love you, so you cannot displease Him for Him not to love you. And I understand the concept of what they're saying. And I understand that. But I do believe just as a father and mother love their child and they love that child unconditionally, that child can still grieve the parent. 
that child can still bring sorrow or joy to the parents. I, I wish I could say that I always brought my parents joy. Now, 99.9999999% of the time I did, uh, you know, my brothers, on the other hand, it was like 50-50, you know, so... Um, <laughs> And if you believe that, I have uh, some property I'd like to sell you on a lake <laughs> after the service tonight. No, I, you know, I, I always knew my parents loved me, but I knew there were times when I messed up and I did not bring my parents joy. I knew their love didn't change. I knew they, they still loved me. And there is nothing we can do to ever change the love of God for us. We did not earn God's love, and therefore we cannot lose God's love by something that we do. But I do believe that in our life as Christians and as children of God, we can grieve God. I mean, the Bible speaks about, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby they are sealed unto the day of redemption. So even God speaks about grieving the Spirit. Well, who is the Holy Spirit? Who's the Holy Spirit? God. The Holy Spirit is God. Again, sometimes we get this idea we have God the Father and Jesus Christ is God and the Holy Spirit's kind of over here. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father and the Son is. And he says if we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God, that means we can grieve God. And I believe there's a great picture of this here with Israel. Think about what he says. I found Israel. God is speaking here. He says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first stripe in the fig tree at her first time. So think about it. He's, he's speaking of joy here, right? I mean, you think about it. Um, the joy God had when he, when he chose Israel. Um, you think about it. Grapes don't normally grow in the wilderness, Right? They don't really grow in the desert places. You know? uh, grapes take care. They, they take uh, a certain type of, of soil and they take water and a certain element. They just don't grow in the wilderness. But he says, he says I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. In other words, it was, it was, and there was an excitement here of, of, man, of someone that is going through the wilderness and maybe they're thirsty, maybe they're hungry and they're running out of food, they're running out of water and, and, and somehow they come upon these grapes in the wilderness. It's, it's an unexpected pleasure, right? You're not expecting it but, it, but it's there. And so to, to find them there in the wilderness would bring joy to the person who is longing of thirst and hunger. He says, that's how I found Israel. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. It brought joy to God's heart when he chose Israel. And he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of Israel. It brought joy to him, brought joy to God. He says, I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time. The excitement that he says of this fig tree that has been planted and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting for it to be able to produce fruit. Right? And, and it's planted. And again, it's just not going to produce fruit overnight. You're, you're, you're tending to the soil and you're, you're taking care of it and, and you're waiting for that day. And, and, and the, 
that day comes where, man, you go out there and maybe you're checking the fig tree and, and all of a sudden you, you check the fig tree and you go out day after day after day, there's nothing on there. And a couple of years go by and you go out there and all of a sudden, man, you see that first fig. You're like, we're going to have some figs now. You say, that's, that's crazy, Pastor. No, it's not. I know that excitement, right? I, I, I can remember my wife and I, a couple of years ago, we went to... Um, we went to Lowe's and we wanted to plant some fruit trees. And so we got a couple apple trees and we got a couple peach trees and we planted these things. And I knew, you know, it's going to take years for us to be able to get any fruit off of these things, right? I mean, they're just not going to produce the first time you put them in the ground. And so, you know, we put them in the ground and we planted them and man, I'm looking forward to that day. And I can remember, I can remember I was mowing and I was mowing our yard and I was mowing around the the, the, the peach trees, and I just happened to glance up, and I saw something. No way. Really? No way. And I, I, I looked at the peach tree, and this peach tree is like spindly. You know, I mean, I, I couldn't believe. I, I, even, I took a picture of it, right? Here's the picture of my peach. I mean, I was so excited that I took a picture of a peach, right? This picture was taken July 9th, of 2020 yeah i mean like it's a peach right i mean look at those spindly little i don't even know how that little branch was holding that peach up i have no idea right but i was so excited that there was a peach on that tree i was like pump yeah we're gonna have like thousands of peaches now because i got one right i mean i i remember how excited i was and i made sure do not touch the tree because if you touch it that branch is just going to break off and the 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 the, the peach is going to die right so don't touch the tree and i you know i mean i was watching it i would go out day after day is it still there did some stupid deer come by and, and eat off the branches or whatever you know i mean i was watching it and i'm i man i, I remember when it got fuzz on it I was like, oh, it's got peach fuzz, you know? Like, this is so great, you know? And I remember, I was like, honey, I think it's ready. Maybe it's not, maybe it is, but I'm going to take it off anyway because I don't want to chance some deer or some animal coming and breaking it. So I remember, man, I took it off. I, I took it off the tree and I took it inside and I was so proud showing my life. Look, we got a peach, we got a peach. Yeah, this is so great. You know, I mean, we've waited for this. You know, it's like a baby, you know? We've waited for this a long time. And, uh... And then I ate it, right? And it was so good. It was so sweet. Because it was like, this is my peach. My peach. Now, I was mowing the other day, and I looked at the tree. There's like 20 of them on there. I was like, well, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. I'm, you know, I'm glad it's going to produce. But there's never going to be the excitement that I had, again, for that first peach. I mean, now the apples haven't come yet. <laughs> Stupid things are, they're just taking their time. But I can remember, I mean, and so think what he says. I saw your fathers as the first stripe in the fig tree at her first time. This is what he's talking about. That first time that that fig tree, after it had grown and grown and grown and the trees became lush, he said, I saw your fathers like that. I saw your fathers. That there, was such, there was such an excitement there. There was such a joy that was there. Seeing what I was going to do with the nation of Israel, seeing what I was going to do through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and your fathers, there was such an excitement that was there. 
He says, I, I remember all of these things. Man, I remember bringing you out of Egypt and, and how I did that. And there was, there was an excitement and God showed his power to them. This excitement. But the joy and excitement didn't last very long. It didn't last long. His joy was turned to sorrow. He says, but they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that shame. And their abominations were according as they loved. You guys can take the peach tree off. The peach can go. I'm done with the peach. Go ahead and take it off. They were wondering, am I going to come back to the peach? No. His joy, his excitement was turned to sorrow. What happened? He says they went to Baal Peor. If you'll remember back in Numbers chapter 23, as they're coming out of Egypt and getting ready to go into the promised land, they come to Moab and Balak, who's the king of Moab, sees Israel coming. And he goes to a prophet by the name of Balaam and he tells Balaam, he says, look, I'm going to offer you silver and gold, whatever you want, if you will come and curse this people that are coming out of Israel. And I think we all know the story. Balaam prays and God says, do not go with them. So he says, nope, can't do it. Balak sends more and says, hey, I'll offer you more if you'll curse these people. Balak goes to God and God says, don't you do it. Don't you do it. These are my people. Balak says, nope, sorry, I can't do it. Balak sends more. He says, I'll, I'll fill your house with silver and gold. Balak goes back, or Balaam goes to God and God says, don't do it. So Balaam says, look, Balak, I cannot curse them. I can't curse them because God has said not to. I can't curse them. But I can show you how to destroy them. I can't curse them. But I want that house full of silver and gold. I can't curse them, but I can show you how to destroy them. And under the deceitful advice of Balaam, Balak gave Israel their first taste of Baal worship. And the nation of Israel began indulging in idolatry and immorality which lasted hundreds of years and brought them to judgment. If you hold your place in Hosea and go all the way back to the book of Revelation, go back to the book of Revelation chapter 2. You say, what's Revelation have to do with Balaam and Israel? Well, in Revelation chapter 2, as God is speaking to the church of Pergamos in verse number 12, he says in verse 13, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, 
Even in those days were in Antipas my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So he's, he's saying, look, you've done well in holding fast to the faith, even through persecution. But he says in verse 14, but I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. What is the doctrine of Balaam? And this is what he says, who taught Balak. So Balaam says, look, I can't curse them for you, but I can teach you how to destroy them. And Balaam taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. How? To eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. He says, I can't curse them, but I can teach you how to destroy this people. If you can convince them to worship other gods, if you can convince them that that sensuality and pleasure is more important than following God, he said, you can destroy them. And so, Balak does. If you go back to Numbers chapter 25, or excuse me, Numbers chapter... Numbers chapter 23 is where all of this transpires... This going back and forth between Balak and Balaam. But in chapter 25, it says in verse number one, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. God said, you're to have no other gods before you. I am to be your God. I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God that called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I alone am to be your God. Balaam says, here's how you can trip him up. Teach them to worship other gods. Teach them not to listen to God, but to listen to their flesh. Now watch what happens. Go back with me to Hosea. Hold your place in Numbers 25, because we'll probably come back to that in just a moment. But watch what he says. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that shame. God uses some very strong language in this verse. He says that they separated themselves unto that shame. The word separate has the idea of being consecrated or dedicated to. In other words, it wasn't just a one-time thing where they, they went and they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to see what's going on here. No, 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 no. This was something that they dedicated themselves to. They were consecrated to this. They had separated themselves to this shame. But remember, when God gave them the law, he wanted them to be separate from the world. He wanted them to be different from everyone else. So that they could see the holiness and the righteousness of God. He said, I want you to be different. I don't want you to do the same thing that everybody else does. I want you to be different. And through Balaam's deceitfulness, Balak, 
began to seduce Israel into worshiping Baal and committing these whoredoms. And God's joy was turned into sorrow. They were now consecrated. They were dedicated to the worship of a false god. Instead of being dedicated to the worship of the true God and separated from the world, they had now separated themselves from the true God and dedicated themselves to a worship of a false God. He said, you have separated yourself unto their shame. And, and again, in, in English, you know, a lot of times a, a strong word may not necessarily resonate so much in English, but the word shame here in, in the Hebrew is one of the, it's one of the harshest words that can be used. To show that the degradation and the shame that they have entered into in what they are doing. He says they have separated themselves unto that shame. The debauchery, the, the shamefulness of worshiping a false god. Just the opposite of what God wanted them to do. He says, and their abominations were according as they loved. Their abominations were according as they loved. The abominations that they were doing were basically what they wanted to do. It was about what they loved. What they loved was an abomination to God. Worshiping the false god. The, the, the harlotry and the immorality that was taking place in Israel as a result of their worship of this false god. He said that their abominations were according as they loved. Again, think about what he says back here in Numbers chapter 25. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods and the people that eat and bowed down to their gods. So Israel is bowing down to Baal. And Israel, notice this, joined himself unto Baal Peor. Again, this wasn't just a, you know, hey, we're just going to check it out and see what happens. No, it says that they joined themselves. They, they dedicated themselves. They consecrated themselves. They turned their back on the God that had brought them out of Israel. They turned their back on the or that brought them out of Egypt. They turned their back on the God that had called them. Again, think about this. You have this, this joy that God says of, of, of finding grapes in the wilderness. You have this excitement of, of seeing that fig produce, that, that fig tree produce the first fruit and that joy and the excitement that is there. And then they went and turned their back on him and their joy God's joy was turned into sorrow because of what they loved and Hosea shows us the intensity of the, their vow here this vow of like he says here joining themselves or as as Hosea says their abominations were according as their love and their they separated themselves under that shame it's it's this idea of dedication to their sin in the sense in the same sense as as a nazarite would take a vow and the Nazarite would take that Nazarite vow like Samson did and, uh, and, and like others did, uh, and John the Baptist, that they would not eat certain things and they wouldn't drink certain things and they wouldn't wear certain things and they, they wouldn't cut their hair. And even to the point where even though they looked ridiculous, 
long hair and, and camel skins and things like this, even though they didn't look normal, they were dedicated to keep that vow no matter what. Nothing would, would, nothing would cause them to break that vow. They were so dedicated to it. And he says, that's how dedicated Israel was, not to God, but to Baal. They were so dedicated to Baal, nothing could break that dedication. Nothing could break that. And their abominations were according as they loved. They chose what to love. And in doing so, turned their back on God. God didn't force them to love him. God gave them a choice. God doesn't force us to love him. God gives us a choice. And I wonder, as in the case of Israel, if God's joy is not turned to sorrow in our lives. You see, the character of the one that we worship rubs off on us. Can I, can I say that again? The character of the one we worship, whoever and whatever that might be, rubs off on us. Baal was an immoral wicked, sensual, detestable God. And that's what rubbed off on Israel. That's what Israel became. Immoral, detestable, to turn their back on the very God who loved them. The God that called them out of the wilderness is a righteous and a holy God. And they chose to spurn Him. You see, when you love God, as God tells us to, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, guess what happens? His character rubs off on us. When I love God the way God tells me to, guess what type of life I'm going to live? I'm going to live a righteous, holy life. Because His character rubs off on me. But if I choose to love a God like Baal that is immoral and sensual and fleshly and detestable, guess what rubs off on me? The character of the one we worship rubs off on us. Can I give you an example? In the New Testament, let's turn to the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, what do we find in verse number 23? 
and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So what do they do? They said, we don't want to worship God. We're going to create our own God. All right? So what happened? Wherefore, God also gave them up to their uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship the, and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. For this cause, God gave them up into vile affection for even the women to change the natural use of that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was me. What did they say? We don't want to worship God. We want to worship an image that we're going to create. And so what happens? The one who they began to worship began to rub off on them. And now you have an unclean, debauchery lifestyle. But hold on. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Notice in verse number 29. Romans chapter 8, verse number 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, the worship of an image leads to a base living and debauchery, but the worship of the Creator God leads to being more like Jesus Christ. Because the one who we serve, the one who we worship, rubs off on us. When we are worshiping God and serving God the way God says to, he says, you're going to be created in the image of Jesus Christ as a saved child of God. And if you're following the Lord, he says, you're going to start becoming more like Jesus Christ, more like the one that we are worshiping because his character is going to rub off on us. You think about, again, you could, you can compare and we're not going to have time to read the whole of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 27, everything that takes place there. But think about, if you compare that to Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, look, as a Christian, he says, look, I'm begging you, don't allow yourself to be conformed to the world. If you worship the world, you'll become like the world. You worship these created, you, you worship these images, you worship these false gods, you're going to become like them because their character is going to rub off on you. But if you'll worship God, if you'll follow the Lord, if you'll separate yourself and live a holy life acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you'll become more like Jesus Christ. Because his character will rub off on us. Who are we worshiping? If we were to look in a spiritual mirror tonight, who would we see? Would we see the world? Would we see the false gods of the world? Oh, I'm not talking about Baal. I'm not talking about an actual image. But would we see the world? 
because the world's rubbing off on us, because we're worshiping and following the world? You say, Pastor, we're supposed to be in the world. That's true. We are supposed to be in the world. There's no, there's no doubt. We are living in this world. Until the Lord Jesus Christ calls us home, we are to be in this world. But he also says we're not to be of the world. In other words, there, there, there's supposed to be a difference. And this is, this is what I truly believe brought so much sorrow to God here in, in Hosea. He says there was such an excitement, there was such a joy in what God had planned for them. But instead of following God, instead of, instead of trusting Him and, and worshiping Him and following Him and letting His character rub off so that they could be a witness and a testimony to the rest of the world, instead they listened to Balak, they listened to Balaam, and they said, hey, you're missing out. You ought to come over here and have some fun. Hey, you're missing out. You know, those all those rules over there man that's too strict you got to come over in here and have some fun and and don't worry about all that just get over here and and you'll really enjoy life and they started listening oh Balaam didn't curse Israel he just showed Balak how to put a stumbling block in front of him tempt them with what God says is bad for them Tempt them with what God says stay away from. By the way, I think we've seen that somewhere else. Have we not? I think we can go all the way back to the book of Genesis. In chapter 3, God says, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what does Satan come along and do? He tempts them with the very thing God says, don't be a part of. Don't be a part of it. Don't be a part of it. Stay away from it. Don't eat of it. Did God really say that? Did God really say you're going to die? God's just probably telling you not to do this because he knows you're really missing out. He's trying to keep something from you. Is that not the same lie that Balak said to Israel? And what happened? And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. God's anger, it went from joy to anger, from joy to sorrow, because they chose to follow a false god. They chose to worship what God says is not a real God. They chose to worship what would bring pleasure to them. Again, think about what he says here. Think about what he says here in Hosea. And separated themselves unto that shame. They dedicated themselves to it. And their abominations were according as they loved. Not what God loved. They didn't follow what God loved. They did what they loved, and it was an abomination against God. Can I ask you tonight? But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that shame. They dedicated themselves to Baal. They joined themselves. They were in complete unity with Baal and all of the false worshipers of of Baal. They dedicated themselves to it. They consecrated themselves to it. 
Can I ask you tonight, what have you dedicated yourself to? What are you dedicated to? Not, not your husband, not your wife, not your kids, not the grandkids, not grandma and grandpa, not, not the church. What are you dedicated to? In your life tonight, what are you dedicated to? Are you dedicated to following the Lord? Are you dedicated to worshiping Him? Because if you're dedicated to worshiping Him and you're following Him, you're going to start seeing He's going to start rubbing off on you. But if you're dedicated just to self, if you're dedicated to pleasure, if you're dedicated to the world, if you're dedicated to those things, you know what you're going to start finding? You've turned your back on God. And you're going to start finding all of those things rubbing off on you. Those are the things that are more important. Those are the things that ought to be number one in our life and not God. And that's when it becomes an abomination to God. The things that we love become abomination to God because what we should love is him. He says in Colossians chapter 3, in verse number 10, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. He said we're supposed to be in his image. We're supposed to be following him. We're supposed to be looking more and more like him. Do we look like him? In our speech? Do we look like him? Not just at church. Not just when it's time to say praise the Lord and amen and all that. No, no. On the job, do we look like Christ? With our speech? At home? Husband, wife, do we look like Christ in our speech? With our children, do we look like Christ in our speech? In our actions, do we look like Christ? Because the more I'm worshiping him, the more he's going to rub off on me and the more I'm going to start looking like him. What are we dedicated to? Israel was dedicated to their own love. They dedicated themselves to that shame. They committed the abominations that they loved. And they turned God's joy into sorrow. I wonder, in our lives... Have we turned God's joy into sorrow? Have we dedicated ourselves to that which is not pleasing to the Lord? Have we started looking more like the world instead of looking like His Son, Jesus Christ? I wonder with their heads bowed and their eyes closed tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking about. I want tonight if we would just stand quietly to our feet. The piano is just going to play softly. Maybe tonight there's something that God is speaking to your heart about. You've dedicated yourself more to the things of the world 
than you have to the things of God. And if you were to look in that spiritual mirror, you would start seeing the world instead of seeing Christ. Have we turned our backs on the very one who loved us? The joy he saw in us that he was willing to send his son to die for us. The joy and the excitement and the plans that he has for us. If we would just follow him. Worship him. Allow him to conform us into the image of his son. What are you dedicated to? Do you look like Christ? Your speech, your actions. we look like Christ or do we look like the world?